Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your Son, Jesus Christ, admitted during his time here on earth, uh, I too can do nothing apart from you. And no good on my own. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give me grace to preach your word in truth. And that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. That uh, we might receive it with joy and be changed. That you might lead us in obedience and repentance. You might fill our mouths with your gospel. To speak it at all times to all people and everywhere. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this Sunday is the beginning of the liturgical season called Epiphany. And there's a brief explanation of that season in the what's the deal for you today. But Epiphany is a season for the Gentiles, those people who are not Jews by birth, but are nonetheless heirs to God's promises through faith in Jesus Christ. And during Epiphany, we remember the Magi from the East, Gentiles by birth who followed the star to Bethlehem. And we join them there in Bethlehem as Gentiles ourselves in their discovery that the child born to Mary is our king. He's not just king of the Jews, but king of the whole world. He is the king of all nations, the king of kings. These men knew him but for a short while before they had to return home. Thanks be to God, we get to linger over Jesus much longer as we discover the nature of this king and his kingdom through the stories recorded about him in the Gospels. So for five weeks in the season of Epiphany, we are going to spend our time in a single chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to spend our time here because this is a chapter full of stories that Jesus told as a king describing his kingdom. Through these stories, often called parables, Jesus will fuel our discovery of himself and his kingdom. And the first story is the story of the sower. Kendra read it for you earlier. But it is the story of a farmer who has gone out into his field to sow seed for a new crop. As he reaches into his bag and indiscriminately throws handfuls of seed onto the ground, it lands all over the place. Some of it lands on the compressed hard dirt of the walking path where birds swoop down to grab a snack. Some of it lands in the shallow, rocky soil. This is the seed that shoots up quickly but also withers away at the same pace when the sun comes up and scorches it because it has no root system to feed and sustain it. Other seed falls along the edges of the field among the thorns. And this seed grows up but is ultimately choked out by the stifling thorns. And finally, some seed lands in good, soft soil, and there it grows to produce an incredibly fruitful crop. And that's it. That's the story. Jesus ends his story with, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But he offers no explanation. Apparently, not even his own disciples had ears to hear, though, because they did not understand the meaning of this story and asked Jesus to explain it to them. And luckily for us, Jesus obliged. 
and he let them know its meaning, which was recorded for us in verses 18 through 22. The seed he talks about is not literal seed, but the gospel. And the, the field is the world. And the different soils are the conditions of the human heart. Hard, shallow, troubled, and receptive. These are the correspondences between the story and the reality it is illustrating. This then is a story about the preaching of the gospel and its reception in a world that is inhospitable to it. But still the question remains why Jesus told this parable. A simple this is that explanation of correspondences still does not explain his meaning. What was his purpose in telling this story? And I think there are two reasons why Jesus told this story, corresponding to the two ways in which Jesus can be understood to be addressing his audience. He can be speaking to them either as soil, in which case he would be the sower, or he can be speaking to them as themselves future sowers, whom he is preparing to sow the gospel in the inhospitable soil of the human heart. And if the latter is the case, that Jesus is telling this story to his audience as future sowers of the gospel, then it seems that he tells this story in order to realistically set our expectations. If he speaks to us as sowers, then the parable is descriptive in nature, describing for us the response that can be expected from the world. And he tells it in light of the mixed reception that he himself received as earlier as in that day. Matthew 12 tells us the events of earlier that day, before Jesus began to tell the story of the sower. You see, he spent the morning interacting with the people who should have been most receptive to him. These were the religious leaders of the day. And yet these people did nothing but question and challenge him. They were trying to prove him wrong and prove themselves more righteous than even the Son of God. And everything that Jesus said to them bounced off of their hardened, self-righteous hearts. And the seed just lay there, waiting for the birds to come take it away. And the religious leaders rejected him. But there was a group of people that received him with joy. And Jesus spent the morning healing people. And the crowd who witnessed these miraculous acts of mercy grew with each new demonstration of power. But Jesus knew that they followed him for what he offered. He was insufficient on his own. This people would leave him the moment he withheld his many kindnesses in order to prove the fickleness of their love for him. The sun would scorch them, cause them to wither, or the thorns would choke them out. You see, Jesus had experienced firsthand earlier that day the sober realities of the human heart. And he wanted the workers he was sending into the world to enter into his work with eyes wide open. If they treated Jesus this way, then you should expect nothing less. There will be hardened apathy and antagonism. There will be intense joy that flames out as quickly as it flared up in the first place. There will be abandonment when following Jesus gets hard and other ways to live seem easier or more effective. There will also be people who receive the gospel of Jesus Christ in truth and enduring faithfulness. This is just how it is. So don't be surprised, you sowers. Don't be discouraged, you saints. The charge remains the same, though. Spread the gospel at all times and in all places and to all people. 
be indiscriminate in your declaration of God's love and, and your calls to repentance. Tell everyone you know about the grace of Jesus Christ and the joy that drives our obedience. But don't fret over the response you might receive because you can't change the condition of the soil. You can't make a person believe or persist in belief. That is his job. You can only plant the word and water it and encourage its growth. But it is God alone who gives the growth. So this is a story then that takes the pressure off the intimidating act of evangelism. Your responsibility as the sower of the gospel is merely to preach the gospel in word and deed every day and to wait expectantly to discover where God has been at work in the hearts of his people by preparing the soil to receive the gospel found in your mouths and in your hands. And you will find that the gospel takes root in the most unexpected places. And others who you might expect to respond positively will disappoint you in their apathy. But this is just another reminder that salvation comes to us as a gift independent of our intellect, our beauty, our wealth, our morality even, or of any of the other things we might point to in order to appeal to our worthiness of God's love. In our Old Testament passage, salvation came to the sinful people of Nineveh. Jonah merely told them to repent at God's insistence, and those words landed in the fertile ground he had been preparing for himself. They were unworthy and unlikely, and yet God loved them. That's the point. You can't predict the soil or the places where God is at work, and so he has given you one job, the privilege even, of preaching the gospel indiscriminately and discovering that he has incorporated you into another glorious demonstration of his grace and salvation in this world. Uh, but this is the meaning of the story if he is speaking to us as sowers. If he tells this story to us as soil, then it takes a much more personal turn. If he tells the story of the sower while thinking of himself as the sower and us as the soil, then he is asking us to get introspective about the condition of our hearts. Are you prepared to receive the gospel with joy, to bear fruit out of that joy? Or is your heart hard, like the walking path? Do you doubt the story that God became a human being and saved us through his obedience, even to the point of death? Do you doubt that you are even in need of salvation? Did you hear me mention Jesus healing people earlier in this sermon and roll your eyes because you no longer believe the miraculous to be possible? Have you come to believe in a disenchanted world? I can't answer all of your objections this morning, but I want to invite you to consider Jesus alone, to do business with him alone. And start with this question, was he who he said he was? All throughout the Gospels and in various ways, Jesus claimed to be God. And the question is, was he who he said he was? And if you can suspend your doubts or even separate yourself from the, the pain you have experienced from the church or from other Christians in the past long enough to consider this question, then you will at the very least be giving Jesus the consideration that is due to him as one who not only claimed to be God, 
but is also easily one of the top three most influential individuals in the history of humanity. His claims to deity do not allow us to consider him on any other level. C.S. Lewis has a great quote in Mere Christianity that addresses the propensity to treat Jesus simply as a great moral teacher. He writes, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man who said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Ah, You see, because Jesus intended for his identity to be the only stumbling block for us. We must do business with him and his claims about himself. Because if we open ourselves to the possibility that he is who he says he is, then the gospel will begin to tear through our dry and cracked hearts. The gospel says that we are far worse than we dare admit, but at the same time, far more loved than we can possibly imagine. We therefore live in a state of grace And it is all because of Jesus. In him we are forgiven and in him we are loved. And that is a possibility that can soften the hardest of hearts. But the power of this love hinges on whether he was who he said he was. Was he God? If so, then God has come to show you just how much he loves you. By giving himself up for you. Is he who he said he was? That's the question for you. The other soil in this story is the shallow soil. If Jesus is telling this story as the sower, then we must ask ourselves whether or not we are the shallow soil that springs up with joy but quickly fades under the scorching sun. And this is the person who loves Jesus for what he offers but falters in their love for him when he does not deliver the goods that you believe are owed to you. And the question for this soil is, do you love Jesus and worship him for his sake alone? It's a question that's posed particularly in the heart of the believer who has experienced the loss of something precious to them or the disappointment that life has turned out drastically different than what they imagined it would be. Do you love Jesus and worship him for his sake alone? Or does he owe you something? Do you call yourself a Christian because of the perceived benefits, either religious or cultural? He is enough for you. And if in your disappointment or sorrow, you can double down in your pursuit of him, despite your loss, then you are putting down roots into the soil that will sustain you and strengthen your character and soften your experience of grief in this world. He will become more real to you and his goodness more palpable. But you must answer this question. Do I love Jesus for his sake alone? 
That's the question for you. The question for the third soil is similar in nature. Am I willing to give up everything to follow him? The thorns threatened this soil. It put out a shoot, but the cares of the world choked it. And money or pleasure appeared to this soil to offer the happiness it desired, but without any of the cost. But that's, of course, only false happiness. And true happiness is found, ironically, in the denial of yourself in order to have Jesus. There is not a part of you that Jesus does not demand. And so we must give up everything to him, knowing that we are none the poorer, so long as he is ours and we are his. So, are you willing then to leave even the most intimate and strong desires of your body unfulfilled, an unthinkable crime in the eyes of our society? in order to please Jesus instead of yourself? Are you willing to be poor in order to remain his heir? Are you willing to sacrifice your dreams in order to fulfill your duty? Are you willing to discipline yourself as the world sets about its grand agenda of removing all boundaries and obstacles for what has been deemed progress but really is confusion dressed up as virtue? Are you willing to be weird, to be misunderstood? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Ah, that's the question. But answer those questions with Jesus firmly in your mind. Following him requires the loss of many things, but look at what you gain. True love, forgiveness, and one day victory and the restoration of all that is good and true, and the absence of confusion or disorder or anger or violence, you will inherit the world made new. Surely it is worth enduring the pokes and pricks of a few thorns in this world in order to have that. But it will require conviction and grit. At times I fear we have lost these altogether. But I pray you will prove me wrong. And bring me along with you in your stubborn faith, refusing to let inconveniences get in your way of Christ. And let us together show the strength of God's grace. In his great mercy, if we remain in him and soften our hearts to the leading of his spirit, then he will bring out of such barren soil as you and I a crop that is manifold and great, the saints and angels marvel at the ways in which he is able to do so much with so little. In his strength, a worm defeats a serpent with a simple no. In his strength, the proud admit their faults and the angry and bitter offer forgiveness. In his strength, the dead are made alive and the guilty repent. It is a harvest, great and bountiful but it all begins and grows out of the gospel. You are far worse than you dare admit, but far more love than you can imagine. That is a thought that can sustain a lifetime of joy and bring about fruit, fruit that far exceeds the capacity of any one individual. You are far worse than you dare admit, but far more love than you can imagine. Let that take root in your hearts today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.